Amen. Glory be to God, the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Amen. What a mighty and awesome God we serve. Hallelujah. And we will look to hear from him on this morning. Glory be to God. If you will, let us look to the Lord right now. Father, it's in the name of Jesus, Lord, right now that we come before your throne of grace, magnifying and glorifying you, your precious name, Lord God. Thanking you, Lord God, as you've given us this opportunity, Lord, to be in your presence. Lord God, you brought us together with the purpose of unifying us, Lord God, that we may be one, that the world may know that you sent your son is the word of God and your purpose for establishing the church, Lord. So we pray, Lord God, that we could be that instrument and the vessel in this world right now, Lord God, that you could shine your light through, Lord God, that it would accomplish that which you've uh, purposed for and in the church, Lord God. And Lord, we pray as you have ministered to us even thus far through Sunday school and encouraging us, Lord God, that each and every one of us accept and take on the responsibility to be the member, the vessel, that individual, Lord God, that you can work through, Lord God, and that we take on our obligation to align ourselves in such a way, Lord God, that will be pleasing unto you. So right now, by your word, Lord God, speak to our hearts as we continue the journey that you set before us. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we ask that you bless this word, that it be nourishment to our souls. In Jesus' name, and all that is in agreement, say amen, amen, amen and amen. We are going to continue our journey on Christian liberty, uh, concerning Christian liberty. So if you will, turn your Bibles to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 1. In verse 9, if you don't have a Bible, get a Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9 is going to be our text verse. First Timothy chapter 1. And as everybody uh, make their way to 1 Timothy chapter 1 there, uh, and this is part five of Christian liberty, I just want to uh, say and speak to each and every one of us that we remember that which God has thus spoken to us so far and that we must understand that we as twofold, having twofold nature, that being of the soul that represents the spirit, and then the other nature being 
the bodily, which is a representation or also known as the flesh, and realizing that these two natures oppose one another. The flesh lust against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh is what Galatians chapter five continues to remind us of. But it is the holy word of God. That's the gospel. Somebody say gospel. But it is the holy word of God, the gospel that saves us, justifies, and that sets free the soul of man or any man that believes in him. Come on, somebody. And this is important that we remember this. Therefore, it's, uh, one cannot, uh, can do nothing without the word. See, we have to understand what the word does and what it's set forth for, uh, is set forth for, because in understanding that, then we know therefore, somebody say therefore, that we or one could do nothing without the word. So if you understand what God is saying to us, then we should have a desperate uh, appetite for the word. The word should mean in everything to us as believers. And it's really interesting to me because uh, that one uh, nature, the bodily nature, uh, and in that bodily nature, the flesh, we understand that we need food uh, and the nourishment of it to survive. And many of us, we, uh, well all of us, I won't even say many of us, we understand the value of that and we are not going too many days without it. But yet, as believers, to the nature of our spirit, we continue to deprive and starve ourselves of the very thing that feeds our soul. The word of God. We're not going to miss too many meals, but we, yet we forsake the, uh, the word of God as though we don't need it. And this is one of the things that God is really wanting to, us to have an understanding of is that as a believer, that, uh, that we must, somebody say must, have an appetite for his word. Because without his word, we can't survive. Just like food for your natural body, without it, you will soon be dead. Then the spiritual nature of one without the word of God will soon be dead. dead. And so in this, we must then understand that by, it's by faith in the word of God, that gospel, that one is justified, not by works. This is why it's really key that we understand because the word will teach us this. It will nourish us with this. It will help us there, thereby grow. To preach Christ is to feed the soul, to justify it, and to free it and to save it. So faith alone brings salvation. Faith will fulfill those who believe with such righteousness, hear me, that they will need nothing else for justification. Faith will fill us, those who believe, with such righteousness. And this such righteousness is God's righteousness. 
It's his, it came from him. It's, it's, it's God giving us a right understanding of his righteousness that you will be nothing else for justification. And that's what Romans chapter 10 is talking about when it says that it is the, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. These things are important as we continue this journey because in this, then we learn and we draw the conclusion or we come to the conclusion just as what Timothy was writing to uh, when he wrote in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, where it says, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, for the unholy and profane, for murderers and, uh, of, the, of fathers and for murderers of mothers, for manslayers. Understand this and know this, my friends, because we are talking about the righteousness, that such righteousness that the word of God will, uh, for those that believe it, will fill us. Or faith, I'm sorry, faith, the faith, God's faith. God-ordained faith will fill us with such righteousness that you will need nothing else for justification. So knowing this, Timothy says, that the law is not made for a righteous person. See, what some God wants to bring some clarity to our understanding today, my friend, is because the, the faith that God has ordained for justification will give us such righteousness See, some of us don't, we, we believe, but we don't understand what, uh, uh, what our faith has done for us. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, 10 says again, that is what the heart one believes unto righteousness. So this faith that we have is, is born and in from our heart. This is not a faith that, uh, of your mind. But this is one that is birthed, this is where true salvation comes into play, as Paul wrote in, to the Romans, that it's by faith, uh, it's, it's in your heart that one believes unto righteousness. So understand this, let's make this very plain and very clear, is that our, it's when we, in our heart, receive God's truth and believe in God's truth as he has ordained it, okay? Not how you want to receive it, but receive it in what he has sent it out to be, that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father except by him. And not just the saying of that he's the, the way, the truth, and the life, but understanding that because he is the way, the truth, and the life, that when one puts his faith and his trust in that, that God actually wipes away his sin as far as the east is from the west, that he promised that in the blood of his son that satisfied him that he will wipe away the sins of the world. That he, will wipe away the sins of the world. I'm saying this as a reminder because that is the gospel. That is the word. That's what we're talking about. That as we understand this, my friends, then that is the faith that 
gives one such righteousness that he needs nothing else. Somebody say nothing else. He needs nothing else for justification, for salvation. So he needs nothing else. Nothing else means he needs not his works for salvation. He needs no work for salvation. Because see, this righteousness, and we, it, this bewilders the mind of man. And this is why it can't be understood in the, the mindset of man or in the nature of man, but it has to be in the spirit, my friends. Because it bewilders us that our trust in us believing in what God has said in the finished work of Christ Jesus and us putting our trust in it, that how could that accomplish uh, something that I don't have to work for? Or something that my work is not going to add to. Or something that my work is not going to help enhance or, 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 or show me approved thereby. This is a dilemma. And, 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 this, and we get caught up in it. If you don't think that that's you, then uh, you do the check and balance. Because if you ever feel yourself uh, uh, unworthy, of God's love or, or, or God's favor at different times based on the fact of how you messed up, then that's the proof in the pudding, my friends, that you have some implication on your works as being uh, some form of your righteousness or attached to it. And yes, I'm speaking to us because every one of us have had that dilemma if we could be true to ourselves. But God is wanting to set us free. This is what Christian liberty and understanding of it is all about, is understanding that our true righteousness has any, is totally separate and completely set apart from any works that we can accomplish or, add, or any works that we can accomplish don't add anything to the righteousness that God has set forth in the blood of his son. Well, get this. There's a reason why we're talking about this. And, and we talked, touched on this a little bit, that when we look at the word of God, then you see that the word of God is broken down or divided into two parts. One, the first part was precepts. What is precepts? Precepts is the law. And the second part or, uh, of the word of God is his promises, God's promises. And so God sent forth his uh, precepts, and he set in place his precepts first and foremost, and we see that in the Old Covenant. Precepts concernly, certainly teaches us what is good. Precepts certainly teach us what is good, for they show us what we ought to do. That's the law. But the problem is, is they do not give us the power to do it. Hear me. It is, uh, they were ordained, however, for the purpose of showing man to himself that through them he may learn uh, he, his own impotence for doing good. So the precepts or the law was put in place to show us that you could not do it in and of yourself. And in that, if you had any of us that has a heart for God, it would take us to a place of disparity 
in realizing that we did not have the, we don't have the capability of fulfilling God's law. And for this reason, they are called the Old Testament. The precepts are and are so. And here's an example. Uh, the example would be uh, thou shall not covet. It is a precept by which we all are convicted of sin. Thou shall not covet. It's a precept by which all of us are convicted of sin. Since no man can help but, uh, but coveting. Somebody's saying in their mind right now, well, that ain't me. Don't lie to yourself. This is a precept that no man has ever been able to keep. And whatever efforts, on the contrary, he makes in order, therefore, that he may fulfill the precepts and not covet, he is constrained to despair of himself and to seek elsewhere and through another the help which he needs uh, to, and, and he only can find out that I can't keep it. And the, what we would seek from another would be, it would only come from God. We would have to seek God to even keep his, his law. Which his law is showing us that you can't keep it. This is what the Bible in Hosea, uh, in the Old Testament in Hosanna, I mean Hosea, Chapter uh, 13, verse 9 says, O Israel, this is what God told Israel. O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. See, we would have to seek the help of God in some other way because in our natural, in our bodily, we cannot keep the precepts. In other words, we cannot keep the law. Do you hear what thus saith the Lord? Now, when a man has through the uh, precepts been taught of his own inability to keep them, then it ought to bring us to a place where we become anxious by what means we may satisfy the law. For the law must be satisfied. Hear this. So that not one jot or tittle of it may pass away. Otherwise, he must be hopelessly condemned. That's you and me. Then being truly humbled and brought to nothing in our own eyes, he finds himself of no resource for justification or salvation. See, when we realize the law, the precepts of God was set in place, that it will show us our inability to be able to keep God's law in, 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 in order to achieve salvation. And it ought to have, in, in what it done, if when a man that is truly believing and seeking God, then the law will show you just that. And as it already been said, that the law showed us what good we ought to do, but it did not give us the power to do it. it what it did, it gave us the understanding of our inability to be able to keep the law, to be able to keep God's commandments. And for a man that is heart for God, then that ought to bring disparity to us. And the, the, the disparity that it brings to us, it ought to break us down to a place that we would cry out to the Lord. As he told Israel again, that uh, you, you have destroyed yourself by trying to keep the law and you see that you can't do it. 
And it ought, and, and, and so therefore, you, what you ought to be able to see is that in me is thine help. And this is what God is saying to each and every one of us. Is that we need his help. Glory be to God. We need his help. It says, now when a man, again, has through the precepts been taught of his own inability to be able to keep the law, it ought to bring us to this place of our hearts broken before an almighty God. And then comes in the other part of scripture, the promise of God. See, this is the second part of scripture. We have the precepts, which is the law, and now we are at a place where no man can keep it. We see that because every man is coveted. And just like coveting all the other commandments, uh, we have fallen short on. Come on, somebody. Period. Over and over again. And this comes, then comes the second part. And the second part is the promise of God, which declares the glory of God and says if we wish to fulfill the law, as the law uh, requires not to covet, I'm laughing out loud right there, believe, it says believe in Christ. See, that is the fulfillment of the law, to believe in Christ, in whom are the promises to you that we are promised grace, justification, peace, and liberty. All these things shall, you shall have if you believe, and you shall be without them if you do not believe. See, the promise it came behind the precepts. When God was able to deliver the precepts to show man that you are not capable and that in your incapability you are doomed. But along came the promise. That in the promise is what? Is not in keeping the covenant or not coveting because we can't do that. But the promise is in what? Believing in Christ. That in our beliefs in Christ, then guess what? The, here's the promises that go to each and every one of us. Grace. Somebody say grace. Justification. Somebody say justification. Peace. Somebody say peace. And liberty. Somebody say liberty. See, these are the things that we have received in the promise of God. And that promise comes through one way and one way only, and that is believing in Christ. For what is impossible for you by all the works of the law, which are many and yet useless, because we can't keep them, you shall fulfill in an easy and summary way through faith, because God the Father has made everything depend on faith, so that what whosoever has it has all things, and whosoever does not have it has nothing. For God has concluded them all in unbelief. That don't those that don't have it, He's brought them all to unbelief, that He might have mercy upon all. Come on, somebody, and that's what Romans chapter eleven verse two talks about. Uh, in there, uh, excuse me, Romans eleven thirty two. That for God has concluded them all into unbelief, that he may have mercy upon all. See, God had to put us all in a category of unbelief because we cannot fulfill the law in there. 
so those that would believe, then he could have mercy on and extend all of these things. This is good news, my friend. So therefore, the promise of God gives that which the precepts extracted. Hear that. Therefore, the promise of God gave, and it gives that which the precepts extract or separates or shows that you, can't, that you cannot have, you ain't entitled to it. Come on, somebody. Hence, the promise of God belongs to the new covenant or the new testament. Amen. This is the new covenant, the promise of God, that anyone that will believe in Christ and put their faith in him, then and only then can will have justification and salvation. Now, since these promises are God, uh, of, of God's word is holy, truth, and righteous, the soul which cleaves to them with a firm faith. Hear what thus saith the Lord. Since these promises of God's word are holy, truth, righteousness, the soul that cleaves to them with a firm faith is so unified with them through, as though they were absorbed by them. That it is not only, that they are not only partakers in them, but they but it's like they penetrate and saturate. They are penetrated and saturated by this truth. See, understand this. And this is the key in all of this. And, and, and these are the virtues by which each and every one of us that believe in Christ, that ought to be saturated and, and, and penetrated and saturated by, See, this is a work that God is doing. This, when we're talking about uh, faith and, and, and the understanding of the gospel and all of this, and when you hear me talk about John uh, chapter 3, when, you know, when uh, Nicodemus couldn't understand that a man must be born again, and when you hear the, uh, me talk about the being born again and, and born of the water and of the spirit, see, when one receives Christ by faith uh, from his heart, and you hear me talk about then God does something. See, the, we, we, it's our faith, that uh, by faith that we are saved. It ain't no doubt about that. But God takes our faith and then he does something supernaturally in the spirit. Hallelujah. And this, what he does supernaturally in the spirit is what we're talking about now. We're just breaking it down that God takes that and he saturates one faith. And, and it ought to bring forth a virtue and it, to produce a virtue in each and every one of us. And the virtue that it produces in each and every one of us is that God is true and he is righteous. And in his truth and righteousness that we, because we put our faith in him, that he imputes this truth and righteousness that he is, he imputes it to you and me by his son. And see, this is, and, and so what we're getting at is that this understanding is what's going to help us separate the, uh, our faith from our works. To understand that it's truly by faith in Christ. And it's not by one's work that get justifies. And remember we just said this a few seconds ago. That it will, it, what happens is that we come to an understanding 
And, I'm, and, and some of you are saying, well, oh, we didn't hurt that. Yeah, you didn't hurt it, but you ain't doing it. None of us is. Because every time that we don't do the right thing, you know, and we, or, and we, think, and we feel like we are losing favor with God, then that is the proof of the pudding that you still have some of your works connected to righteousness. Because you still have some kind of form of yourself that thinks that in order for me to be right with God, then it's based on the works. And God is making a clear, he's drawing the line, my friends. And it's high time that he has to draw the line because it's too much of man that, that you know, and I, when I say man, I'm not talking about the world, I'm talking about the man in the church. It's too much of us uh, for too long and for so long and as time continues to draw near that we think that a part of what we do in serving God or in serving in the church uh, counts for our righteousness. It doesn't. But the truth of the matter is, is that we, if we truly understand what the faith in Christ Jesus, how it has made us right, then certainly our works will definitely come forth. It ain't no doubt about that. It, and, and, and what God is drawing the line here is because the works that we've been doing ain't been good enough. Because we, the works we've been doing is born out of ourselves when we feel like it, when it's convenient. See, what a true understanding of faith and, and the separation of that, then it produces the work that God wants. It ain't based on how you feel or, 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 or your position or, or, or what weekend it is. It's based on God's desire. It's based, see, it ain't based on your ability. It's based on him, uh, his, uh, excuse me. It's not based on your availability. See, because when it's time for me to do this and do that, then I ain't available. When I got to do this natural thing, then I'm not available. See, and we make ourselves available behind the natural things that we have to do. See, what happens here is when we have the right understanding, then the tables would be flipped over. That our, uh, we would, our natural things that we have to do would become secondary to what God is asking us to do. So then we will begin to uh, uh, make appointments and make adjustments to uh, what we, we will set forth what the natural things that we have to do based on what is solid in terms of what God has already appointed us to do. It changes the direction, my friend. And we can't no longer be confused by this. And so God is painting and showing a clear picture. In the, and he's drawn a clear picture. And this clear picture that he's drawn is that your works has, does not save you, cannot add anything to your salvation. And certainly, and if it can't add to it, then guess what? It can't take it away. But what he is going, he's moving us past, even past that, to understand this, that ultimately what then begins to happen again is that one would win the truth of what in the understanding comes, something happens in the soul of the man that believes 
and that it put his faith and trust in God. What happens in the soul of the man then is that he begins to cleave. Cleave. Somebody say cleave. Do you understand what cleave to? Cleave means that you're holding on for more than dear life, my friends. It begins to cleave to God's truth and his righteousness, even to the point of absorption. For if the touch of Christ was healing, how much more does the most tender spiritual touch, the absorption of God's word I'm talking about, communicate to the soul all that belongs to the word? In this way, therefore, the soul through faith alone, without works, is from the word of God justified, is from the word of God sanctified, is from the word of God endured with truth, peace, liberty, and is filled with every good thing that comes from above. This is God's truth. And it's high time that we begin to understand this. And then we can understand what John chapter 1 verse uh, 12 says, that to them he gave his power to become sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. See, this is what uh, where the power uh, to become a son of God takes place and where it comes from. It comes from a full understanding in, uh, uh, of our faith in Christ and what it does. And when we have an understanding of what our faith in Christ does, what God does with that in the kingdom, it gives us the power, somebody say power, to become sons of God. And the power to become sons of God is to know that uh, and understand with a, a full and open heart that I cannot work for my salvation. It ain't no work that I can do that will earn it. Uh, glory be to God in there and no work that I can do that, that can take it away. Hallelujah. Yeah, what we got to be thanking them for is not the part that, uh, see, what, we, what everybody heard then is that my works can't take away. No, the emphasis here is my works, what, it, what, it, what my works can't add to it. See, because it ain't no problem for man to know, to, 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 it, when the nature of man is not a problem uh, to know that uh, my works can't, can't, my messed up works can't take me out of the hand of God. Because it ain't the thing that put me in the hand of God. It's my faith and my heart that believed in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Come on, somebody, right? See, that, that part, we have no problem in our nature. But the nature of man, on how we were born into this world. The Bible says that we were born into sin and shaped into iniquity. And how then not only were we born into a world like that, but as soon as we were birthed into the world, everything in it, uh, that we were taught from yay high is how to, be, uh, to, to promote ourselves and to be better and to compete against somebody else. So we have all learned and innately been endowed with this uh, work-based performance. That we got to work harder than somebody else to prove ourselves and to be on top. In there. And yes, that is how the world system goes, but we ain't talking about the world system today, my friend. We are talking about the kingdom system. Glory be to God. And it doesn't work like that. Hear what thus saith the Lord. 
that this is the very reason why we cannot allow the spirit of the world to continue to take its place and take over its place in the church. See, man's nature don't have a problem with what his works won't, won't, uh, won't make him lose. But he has a problem because from yay high he was learned that he, if he works hard, then he earns this. And because that mindset is innately in us, then we use it in the spirit. So we have a problem understanding completely that uh, our works don't earn us anything in the kingdom of God. But it's our faith. Somebody say faith. In Jesus Christ. In, in what the plan that God had orchestrated. And that is the only one that gives us justification and salvation. So again, in 1 Timothy chapter uh, the 1, verse 9, now we can clearly see now we should be able to begin to clearly see that it is easy to understand why faith was such great power see faith this faith has the power because the power is in Christ Jesus so this faith has great power and why no good works, nor even all good works put together can compare with it. it. All good works cannot, all of them put together cannot compare to the great power that faith has. Because faith is what God has ordained and orchestrated and set it in, uh, in the earth for salvation. And since no work can cleave to the word of God or be in the soul, since no work can cleave to God or be in the soul, faith alone and the word reigning in it, and such as the word, such as the, as the soul may be made in it, just as, uh, here's an example, just as iron exposed to the glow or fire glow uh, like iron when, when it's exposed to the fire, then it, it, it takes on this glow, right? On account of its union with the fire. See, it, then it takes on this, because of the union with the fire, it takes on this certain glow. It is clear then that a Christian man, his faith suffices for everything and that he has no need of works for justification. But if he has no need of works, neither has he need of the law. And if he has no need of the law, he is what? Certainly a free man. And he is certainly free from the law. And the same is true of what Timothy wrote in 1.9 when he says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person. We finally got there, my friend. So you understand this righteous person that he's talking about. This righteous person that he's talking about ain't somebody that didn't done works 
that prove that they right. But this righteous person is the one that have put their faith in Christ Jesus and supernaturally by the spirit, they've been born again, hallelujah. And they have been moved from this place of darkness outside of Christ into the marvelous light inside of Christ. That is the right man. And that right man has no need of the law. Has no need of the law. Somebody's still confused. Has no need of the law. Why? Because you have been set free from the law. And, and why? In, 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 in conjunction with that, did you hear what, 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 what was already said? That when God has made you right, then what ought to, and what he has purposed to happen in your heart is for it to be absorbed, come on somebody, saturated, come on somebody, by his word that makes you, uh, that, that puts you in a place, see, and when you've been absorbed and saturated, then you become a part, uh, this is how we've been endowed in, 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 uh, uh, in imparted righteousness. So we become the righteousness of God. And when we are the righteousness of God, then our heart are not, we don't need the law to be righteous because we are. But, uh, and when we are, then guess what we do? We begin to honor and follow. See, this is uh, the huge part. This is where we've been missing the boat, my friend. Understand this. Let me not even get ahead of myself. But understand this. That no one that has been made right by faith in Christ not that you've been made, that you made yourself right. See, that's where the confusion is. But that God has made you right because of your faith in Christ should need the law or works to justify for justification and salvation. Let us consider this as the first virtue of faith. That is the first virtue of faith, is that you do not need the law for justification in sanctification, in salvation. That is the first virtue of faith. God is teaching us some stuff that, yeah, yeah. That the virtue, his virtue of faith, the first virtue of faith is that we have no need of the law for justification. And let us also look at the second. This is also an office of faith. That it honors, here it is, here it is, right here, here, here it is, that faith, see this faith, what it does, it, it honors with the utmost admiration and the highest reputation, him in whom he believes. See, this is the second virtue of faith, is that it, honor, that, that it honors to the utmost. And, and with the highest reputation, it believes, it, it puts the highest reputation on, on him in whom it believes. This is the second virtue of faith. 
See, we're talking about true faith now. See, true faith, the first virtue was that you don't need the law for uh, justification. And the second is that true faith, what it does, it honors. Somebody say honors. It honors to the utmost. And it, and it, and it, and it puts <coughs> or it, its reputation of him it believes in is the highest reputation. There ain't no reputation higher than, uh, you, you know what a reputation is, right? I'm talking about what, what, he, what he's known as is the highest of the high. See, true faith honors and it has a, 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 a vision or a view of the reputation of him whom he believes in to the highest esteem. To the highest. <clears throat> Inasmuch as it holds him to be truthful and worthy of belief. For there is no honor that the reputation of truth and, and righteousness with which we can honor him in whom we believe. Hear that. What higher credit can, can we attribute to anyone than truth and righteousness? What, great, what, 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 big, what greater honor can we attribute to anyone than truth and righteousness? And absolute goodness, I would add, even. On the other hand, it is the greatest insult to brand anyone with the reputation of falsehood and unrighteousness or to suspect him of these things as we do when we disbelieve him. See, when we disbelieve him, we automatically put him uh, or label him with the reputation of falsehood because he said it and unrighteousness. See, then thus the soul of a man and firmly believe in the promise. Somebody say the promise. The promise of God holds him to be true and righteous. And it can be attributed to God as no higher glory than the credit of being so. The highest worship of God is to ascribe to him truth and righteousness. And whatever qualities we must ascribe to one who, in whom we believe, in doing this, the soul shows itself prepared to do the whole will of him. See, now we get to where the rubber meets the road. See, this faith, as it ascribes and believes in the one that it believes, the greatest and the highest honor, and the reputation that, that it places on him is truth and righteousness, then with that it ascribes to him obedience. In other words, it ascribes to him that, that it, because he is held in such honor and high esteem, come on somebody. See, because we're talking about true faith and every, every one of us be, might be wanting to examine what our faith is. Because if we are not ascribing to God as, uh, to the utmost honor 
and truth and righteousness. See, because when that happens, then automatically with that comes a, a heart. Glory be to God, if I can say it no other way, it comes with a heart prepared to do his will. There ain't no separation. It ain't, uh, you can honor, think of God as the highest honor and truth and righteousness, but yet I'm not, oh, I gotta wait to do his will. That's a lie. And the truth is not in it. So if we are somewhere in between, then the problem is not uh, what God deserves or what belongs to him. The problem is your faith, my friends. That it's not ascribing to him the honor that he's due. That it's not uh, giving him the reputation of who he is. That is truth and righteousness. See, and this is where our works come in because then when, you know, when we haven't done that, then we, what we do is we inject or place in that place our works to make us feel better. And this is what didn't happen. And this is why we come up with the excuse that God knows my heart. Yes, he does, my friend. You don't. And it's high time that we begin to stop fooling ourselves. Because the truth of the matter is, is where there is true faith, where then there is a, a honor in that faith in the one that he believes in. And where there is honor in the faith, the, one, uh, the faith of one's belief, then it is attached to a, a reputation. And that reputation is truth and righteousness. Truth and right, that God is right. That God is holy, that he is the almighty God, that he is the alpha and the maker. The words that we say, that he is the beginning and the end. And there ain't nothing in between that but deceit for ourselves, that us fooling ourselves. This is the reason why you hear the word of God over and over again uh, challenging us and charging us and warning us to don't, uh, de don't deceive yourself. Don't be deceived, my friends. Don't be deceived over and over again. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man reap, he shall also sow. Or excuse me, whatever he sows, he shall also reap. Somebody catch that. And what God is showing us is the root, the grassroots of this stuff where we want it to stay on the surface. We don't really want to understand this. Because see, when you begin to dig deep and, and God reveals the grassroots of it, then truth comes forth. And it, and it puts a mirror right in front of your face. And this mirror, don't, uh, don't, uh, it don't glare, you don't glare in it, it glares at you. And what I mean by that, this mirror, you can't look in and, and, uh, and, and, and cast a picture or, 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 or even, see, because when we glare in the mirror, then we see what we want to see. See, this mirror, you, you, it don't, you don't glare in it, it glares at you. So it casts and it shows you what you uh, so that you don't have no control of this. It shows you you, the truth of who you are. See, see, I could get up in the morning, yo, and look in the mirror, boy, and be all tore up from the floor. But, in, in the, but beauty is in the eyes of beholders, so I look good. When I'm looking in the mirror, I don't know about you, but I look good even when I wake up. 
That's because I'm looking in the mirror. But see, this mirror, it ain't one that you, you glare in. It's one that glares at you and it shows you you, my friends. It shows us us. My God. And this is the promise of God that I will send, I send my word and it healed them and delivered them. Hallelujah. It not only did it heal, but it delivered, my friend. And it has set us free in the mighty name of Jesus. In whom the Son is set free. It's free indeed. This is where our Christian liberty comes from. But we need a proper understanding, my friend, that the first virtue of faith is one of an understanding that with this faith, the true faith, that it has no need of works to be justified. So you can't add your works to this justification, I mean, for, to this faith that will give you anything extra or keep you any way, shape, fashion, or form. It is solely and wholly kept by the work of Christ Jesus that satisfied the Father. And you can't add to it. Glory be to God. And then the second virtue of this faith is when we truly understand that. When a man really understands that what is in his heart, what is produced out of his heart is an honor to the utmost. An honor that, 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 that ascribes a reputation to the almighty God of who he really is. That is truth and righteousness. And in that, it works in one's heart a submission to the will, the whole will of God. In doing this, it also hollows his name. Somebody say hollow his name. See, because Jesus told him, you ought to pray like this, hollow be thy name. See, that's talking about holy is thy name. I'm talking about, but in a way that is above us, our English language can even describe that it hollows his name. It ascribes to God who he is. Holy, holy, holy is thy name. See, in my, see, we don't understand this. We didn't heard it. We didn't read it in some of us, even the song, the songs. Because, but the Bible tells us that the angels in heaven, that they are, constantly at the feet saying of, of, of God the Father and Jesus Christ the Son saying holy, holy, holy. And they ain't playing because they know and they see and they understand who God is. And God supernaturally by faith in our heart is imparting this to us right here and right now that we begin to have an understanding as we are saturated and penetrated by these virtues that hollow is his name and give it and gives itself up to be dealt with as it may please God. So let me say that again. See, when we come to this place of true faith, 
the soul shows itself prepared to do the whole will of God. And in doing this, it hollows his name and it gives, up, gives itself up to be dealt with as it may please the Father. For it cleaves to his promises and never doubts that he is true, just, wise, and, do, and, 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 and will do and provide for all things in the best way. Do I need to see that, say that again? Okay. See, the soul, when it comes to this understanding, when it has this faith, it shows itself prepared to do the whole will of God. And in doing so, it hollows his name and it gives itself up to be dealt with as it may please God. For it cleaves to his promise and what it knows and will never doubt is that he is true, that he is just, that he is wise, and that he will do and he will provide for all things in the best, somebody say best, the best way. See, what is this telling us then? It's telling us that we don't longer trust in ourselves, but it's telling us just like what uh, David said, I will trust in the Lord at all times. And what he encourages us to do, uh, even for ourselves, to lean not on our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge God. This is what it's saying, that this faith will go to that place in there. That it won't lean on its own understanding or what it, his eyes can see, but it will know that God himself will deal with all of our situations, all of the things that we have to in, encounter and go through in the best way which is his way, not yours, not mine, but his way. See, this faith reaches some places. It produces some things. It does the work of the kingdom. See, this, this faith has no works attached to it. See, because when you put the attachment or the endorsement of works See, somebody know what attachment means in your job. Somebody know what an endorsement is. See, when you get an insurance policy and you add an endorsement, then it changes the original policy. Come on, somebody. See, this, this, uh, this, this policy has no endorsements to it or no attachments. But when you attach to the policy of faith as God has orchestrated and ordained it for the, uh, his people, when you add an endorsement of works to it, which we have uh, as man, this is what we've been inclined to do. It contaminates or it changes the policy. And see, in the spiritual world, in the natural world, it's just an endorsement that changes a part of the policy. It don't make it non and void. In the spiritual world, when you add an attachment or endorsement to the policy that God has set forth, guess what it does? It voids the contract. It voids it. It takes it and puts it in our will and our way. And this is what we've operated in. I didn't say it voids your salvation, but it voids the plan of God because you got salvation. 
See, because the plan of God, because he made your reservation, is for him to use you in the best way he sees fit. Not in the best way that you want to offer him. When it's convenient. Or not. You see the problem? And here's the good news. The good news is that the soul in firmly believing the promise of God holds him to be true and righteous. And it can attribute to God no higher glory than the credit of being so. It attributes to God. It just, uh, it, it, not that God needs your acknowledgement, you need to acknowledge who God is. And, if, and when we can come to the, the, the truth of the matter, then it brings us to a full acknowledgement of who God is. Somebody missed that. God don't need your acknowledgement to be truth and righteous, to be almighty as he is. But we need to come to the knowledge of truth that we know who he is. This is what Jesus was praying for in John chapter 17, that he prayed that they may know the only true God and your son whom you sent, that this is love. That you may know, that we may know. This is the good news. That God so loved the world that he did this. That he did this. When there was no way, he made a way. And he did that before you was even born into the world. That before the foundation of the world. Before you committed sin, God had already paid the price for your sin through his son. And if that ain't a demonstration of love and if we can't even begin to allow that to touch the bottom of our hearts that we will, that, uh, that it can draw us to the place of full surrenderance, I don't know what will, my friend. Honestly, I don't know what will. So as we close here, my friends, it's high time that we begin to wake up. We can call faith all of the things that you want to call them. But the truth of faith that sets us at, at liberty with Christ is one that begins and understands that through that, that true how God has orchestrated the, the, the path of mankind to be in his, in his presence since the fall of man and because he knew of the fall of man in there, that it works one way and one way only. And that is through the blood of his son that he spent, that he spent, that he spent, that he spent. That he spent, that it's through the blood of his son and that faith, rooted and grounded in truth, starts 
one place and one place only. It starts with the understanding of the the virtue of the fact that our salvation don't need no help from our works to be justified. And why that's important, it ain't important to God to know that because he already knows it. It's important that you know that because when we know that our works does not enhance our salvation or our justification, then we can truly be about the Father's business with no fear of failure to not live up to or failure to not uh, live up to. Both ways. And when you know that uh, you don't have to live in failure to not live up to or failure to not live up to, when one truly knows that, and they believe in God Almighty, it propels them into the promise of God, the second virtue, that it propels them to honor. Man, what have you done for me? Wow, you did this for me? It will blow your mind. And it will draw you into a love relationship with him that will trust him for the rest of your days to know that his way of all the things that I got to endure is better than any way that I can come up with, my friends. And it's just plain and very simple as that. But we, the church, have took in faith and made it so much more that we ain't never got to the grassroots of it that will change our lives. This is what I'm saying. So God don't, it's not that God needs to know these things. It's that we need to know these things because in knowing these things, then it it frees me to to be the vessel that God has called me to be. And then it frees me to be the vessel that God has called me to be first in the fact that I don't have to be in fear. And second, it frees me to be the vessel that God has called me to be because now I can honor him to the utmost. And I don't have to worry about what my mama, my brother, my friends, or my peers, or anybody else is is worried about when I put my trust in the Lord. And they call talking about, oh, what are you doing that for? You know, uh, and they want to give me the man's perspective on how to deal with a situation. When they want to speak the world's wisdom and denounce my heavenly wisdom from my father. God forbid. It's life changing, my friends. Can you see the freedom that he has died to set us free? And it ain't, it's, it's not free uh, from him or, or the wrath of him. Yeah, it does that. But the main freedom comes, it comes from the freedom of yourself and your peers. Those that will talk on your business and talk in your ear to try to get you off of the real business on the monkey business. Hallelujah. It keeps us off the monkey business. Glory be to God. Ain't God good? He's just wanting to share more of his truth that it may change us from the inside out. That we can really understand the freedom that has been set before us. And as we move forth uh, and pick up from here on next week, Man, it's it's even more intriguing, this journey of Christian liberty. 
it gets even the more uh, you know, intriguing because it goes into just really allowing us to see that now how the grace of God is really at work in our lives and through our lives, in our lives for us and through our lives to be used by uh, for someone else. Come on, somebody. In there, see and, see, and it sets us free to all of that. This is how ultimately we can be unified. See, because when now we didn't get past this little point and we can get into the grace and mercies of God and how it, it, it works in our life then, and how he wants to work it through our lives so that we can freely be able to grace somebody and give mercy to somebody when they didn't done wrong, just like God has given grace to us when we didn't done wrong. See, we didn't hurt that, but we're going to really find out what it means. Let us look to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, holy and hallowed is thy name. You are awesome and you are a mighty God. And we just thank you, Lord, for your truth. Thank you for your spirit, Lord God, as you worked us little bit by little bit through that. And I pray, Lord God, that it has touched the hearts of your people today, Lord God, that have brought forth understanding and clarity, even clarity because some of us knew, man, something is going on or something is wrong or whatever, but it's been put clarity right before us, Lord God. And we just thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough that when we look in the mirror that we, don't, we ain't looking for our reflection, but we looking, Lord God, we, we getting a reflection. And the reflection that you give is a true reflection, Lord God, that will change us, rearrange us, Lord God, that will never let us continue to be the same. So we give you praise, Lord God. We give you honor. We give you glory, Lord God. We say thank you, Lord, for your loving kindness, Lord God, and your tender mercy, Lord God, that you will feed us of your word, that we may be nourished in our spirits, Lord God, just as we seek to, to, to be nourished in our physical body by natural food, Lord God. And even many of us, we are mindful of the junk that we let go in our natural bodies. Let us be mindful of the junk that we may let go in our spirit, O oh Lord, that it may be guarded by your truth, that we ain't just acceptable to the, uh, every whim of doctrine, Lord God, but the truth that comes from above. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen.